0: The first of my posts was called The Mountains. If you've been participating in Read With Me for a while, you may have noticed that I don't like talking about symbolism. There are a few reasons for that. First, I just don't like the device of symbolism as it is often used. Sometimes writers use symbols that require the reader to have some sort of special knowledge or to make some sort of clever connection outside the universe of the work itself. I like the elements of a novel to flow in a harmonious whole, and an awkwardly used symbol will, instead, jar you out of that flow. Second, attention to symbols can lend itself to detached, aimless, and misleading integration of the novel's component parts. As an exercise, I opened the book and pointed to a word at random. It was the word blaze. Imagine I were then to look for and make a connection among all the references to fire. Say, the smoke from Joe's pipe, Shane's eyes' blazing refusal, and the way the stump used to jeer at fire. You could make connections, to be sure, but I feel certain those connections would not efficiently serve the purpose of helping you to derive the soul forming value of this work of art. Finally, My focus is not on the craft of literature, but on its consumption. There's a place for study of the means by which great artists forge their work, but that place just isn't here. If I had taken the first chapter of Shane, and, like so many of my teachers in school, discussed only vocabulary words, narrative voice, and a scattering of literary devices— I don't think I would have set you on a path to feeling its meaning in the depth of your soul. So, with that caveat, there's one symbol in this novel that I think is worthy of discussion—the mountains. It recurs often, it is used effectively, and it seems important. I collected as many references to the mountains as I could find. I will remind you of them here, and then draw out what I think is their suggested meaning. First, Shane, as self-sufficient as the mountains, could ignore it. Then, Shane had been watching him intently. He moved his head to look out of the window over the valley to the mountains marching along the horizon. It's always the same, he murmured. He was sort of talking to himself. The old ways die hard. Next, there were times when he would stop and look off at the mountains and then down at himself and any tool he happened to have in his hands, as if in wry amusement at what he was doing, or then the hand around the gun whitened, and the finger slowly opened, and the gun fell to the ground. The hand sank to his side, stiff and awkward. he raised his head, and the mouth was a bitter gash in his face. His eyes were fastened on the mountains, climbing in the distance. Next, he looked away from Chris, past him, over the tops of the swinging doors beyond, over the roof of the shed across the road, on into the distance, where the mountains loomed in their own unending loneliness. And finally, where was Shane? I hurried toward the barn. I was almost to it when I saw him out by the pasture. He was staring over it and the grazing steers at the great lonely mountains, tipped with the gold of the sun, now rushing down behind them. What is so effective about this symbol is that the very image of mountains and of Shane turning his gaze upon them make us feel exactly what they are meant to represent. What is that? Well, here's what I see and I'd love to hear your thoughts, too. The mountains are remote. They stand looming far off in the distance. It is from that distance that Shane has come, and no matter how much he settles in at the Starrett Farm, it is to that distance that his gaze turns. Shane, like those mountains, seems at once both close and far away. He is a man apart. The mountains are lonely. Home and community and family are features of life in the valley. The mountains are distant, lifeless, and austere. They, like Shane, are self-sufficient, which can imply independence and strength, but also solitude. The mountains are grand. As many of you have said, Shane has the stature of an epic hero, or even a god. It is as if he descended from Olympus to dwell among mortals for a while and to enjoy a life of everyday cares on earth. But Shane exists on a higher plane. The mountains are steady and immovable. The bustle of life and change in the valley is framed by the steadfastness of the mountains. The image of their silhouette, like Shane's character, is fixed and can always be counted upon. The mountains are the past, and perhaps the future. When Shane stares into the distance from which he has come, he sees within it the past he has left behind, and the destiny to which he might be drawn again. He wants to dwell here in the valley, but the peaks in the distance stand as an omnipresent reminder of who he has been, and perhaps must always be. Whatever my objection to symbols, The mountains of Shane stand tall as a stirring and notable exception. The next of my posts was called The One Thing I Can't Stand. When Ernie Wright is killed and the stakes in the fight are raised, Joe sees the change in Shane and knows he is battling something within him. He says, That's the one thing I can't stand, Marion, what we're doing to him, what happens to me doesn't matter too much. Unquote. The heroes of this novel can endure any form of suffering except seeing those they love suffer. Time and time again, we see them driven to action not by self preservation or pride, but by a protectiveness of friend and family. Joe is not afraid to stand up to Fletcher, even though he knows there is a good chance it will cost him his life but the thought that he has dragged Shane back into a fight just when he seemed to have conquered the demons of his past, that is too much for him to bear. He will risk his life, but he won't risk Shane's peace. When Joe turns down Fletcher's offer, Wilson makes a parting attempt to bait him into drawing his gun. He knows that the way to get to a man like Joe is not to attack him, but his family." The sneering suggestion that Joe will be killed and that someone else might enjoy his place and his wife prompts Joe to tighten his hand around his gun and might have gotten him killed if Shane hadn't stepped in. And Shane, who knows the game and is immune to the provocation, will happily step in front of Wilson unarmed, insult him, and take the bullet himself if it means protecting the life of his friend." Those are the examples from these chapters, but there are more, like Marion asking Shane to stay despite the suffering it will cause her, because Joe needs him. She will bear her burden if it means sparing Joe his. This theme heightens both the stature of the characters and the intensity of the plot. Situations that would otherwise be simple are made more complicated by the characters' efforts to spare each other suffering. The last of my posts was called Gone with the Wind. Reading Shane this time, I noticed a parallel with Gone with the Wind. In that novel, the old-mannered aristocratic South is dying with the Civil War, and it is replaced with a world in which only the strong and selfish survive. In that changing world— Scarlett O'Hara finds herself torn between her admiration for the former and her instinct and capacity for the latter. In Shane, the winds of change are doing away with the open range of the Wild West, and it's being replaced with a more ordered, settled existence. The question is, where does that leave Shane? On the very opening page, he makes his choice. We are told, quote, he came steadily on, straight through the town without slackening pace, until he reached the fork a half mile below our place. One branch turned left across the river ford and onto Luke Fletcher's big spread. The other bore ahead along the right bank where we homesteaders had pegged our claims in a row up the valley. He hesitated briefly, studying the choice, and moved steadily on our side. Unquote. If Scarlet O'Hara clung sentimentally to the past, Shane yearns for the ways of the civilized future. But this Wyoming valley hovers between the two worlds. Though the town they are establishing is one of property lines and the order of law, the closest marshal is still many miles away, and Fletcher holds the real power. They are still in the grips of a time when disputes are settled with guns the world in which Shane reigns supreme, and the world he wants to escape. He does escape it for a time, in the peace and stability of the star at home, the sort of life he dreams of. But as we have discussed before, it is because he is so at peace, because he comes to love this family so dearly, because they represent life as he thinks it ought to be, that he has to join the fight. In a world where conflicts are decided with gunfire, Shane is a born enforcer of justice. He may not have been born a gunfighter. That identity was forged by circumstance. But he was born with the qualities that would make him a great one. Quote, This was inherent in him, not learned or acquired, simply a part of his natural being. Unquote. Until the new order is established, Joe needs a man like him. The question is, will there be a place for Shane in the new world, or will he too be gone with the wind?